Once again, thank you for being here this morning. I want to recognize that this has been a difficult week, and it may feel like a long time ago that the news broke out of Texas on Tuesday, but make no mistake, this has been one of those weeks as a pastor where I had a sermon written on Tuesday morning, and that sermon changed radically. That's actually happened a lot more in the last couple of years than it ever has in my years in ministry, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's what God has done to speak to us, to speak to his people, to speak to his community. And so I'm actually very grateful that we have the chance to worship today and consider this text. I had this text chosen before the events of this week, and I'm just amazed that God's word can continue to speak comfort even in situations we never could have anticipated. Starting on Tuesday afternoon at my son's baseball game, I had conversation after conversation after conversation with people this week about the events that took place. And again, I'm being intentionally obscure around the specificity of that because we have kids in the room and I just want to recognize that. But y'all know what I'm talking about. And it was just amazing to me as a pastor, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, where my title and sort of my presence are not always greeted with the greatest degree of welcome, to have secular people in my life coming to me and saying, I don't know what to do. What, what would you have to say to this? They're asking me that, and you probably had conversations like that too. Just because I have that title in my life doesn't mean I have some kind of like greater ability or that people would seek me out more. Each of you has the opportunity to be the voice and presence of Jesus to people in your life who are struggling with the events of this week or struggling with this theme of pain. And here's the good news. Jesus is our shepherd, Amen. He has shepherded us this week. Maybe you have not directly felt his comfort. Maybe you have felt kind of just lost and kind of wondering, like, what what good could come of this? What in the world could happen here? Guess what? In the scriptures, God's people face that feeling all the time. All the time. It is a constant for the people of God to not feel in control, to feel like events around us are out of our control, that we cannot change the things that are happening. What do we do over and over again? This is the witness of the scripture, and it is the faithful presence of our shepherd that gives us clarity and gives us comfort and helps us see and feel and understand not just how to make sense of terrible events, but who we need to be moving through it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And this word that Carol just read for us is particularly instructive if you would call yourself a Christ follower or a disciple of Jesus. And I want to recognize in the room and online, there may be some watching who go, I don't know if that's me. That's not really where I would say I am right now, especially in light of all these terrible things. Well, consider today's message an opportunity to look at the claims of Christ, and specifically how Christ helps us, makes us more of who we are called to be, calls us to higher ground as leaders through tragedies such as the one we face this week. So today, we're going to talk about three things, pain, purpose, and comfort. And guess what? That's your outline. If you're a note taker, take this down. We're going to talk about pain, we're going to talk about purpose, and we're going to talk about comfort. And we're going to land on comfort because we serve the God who is a shepherd. One of my favorite images from the Bible comes from Luke chapter 15, where Jesus talks about the the good shepherd seeking the lost sheep. What does he do when he finds the sheep? He places the sheep over his shoulders and carries it home. May this message today be like the shepherd putting you over his shoulders and carrying you home, carrying you safely to his feet, carrying you into his presence where there is healing and goodness and joy. So we're going to begin by talking about pain. You're welcome to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin by looking at verse 21. We're just going to kind of go through the text line by line, so you're welcome to follow along as you'd like. 
uh, I want to just ask really quickly, when's the last time you experienced some physical pain? Like, when is the last time something happened to you beyond kind of the news events of this week where you experienced some pain? Did you, you know, stub your toe getting out of bed this morning? Were you trying to nail something in the wall and you whacked your finger with a hammer and there were colorful words spoken? Uh, on Tuesday, we had a baseball game. My son's team had a baseball game down at Juanita Beach Park. And it was raining, sprinkling just a little bit, but it wasn't so bad that we couldn't play baseball, right? This is, this is the Northwest. Like, we play baseball in the rain. It's okay. And so they're playing the game, and my son gets a hit, and then he makes his way around the bases to third base. He's just about ready to score. And one of his friends gets up to bat, and they hit a single, and he runs home from third. And that's one of his favorite things, is to try to score and to get that run for his team. And then he does what I tell him to do every single time, which is make sure you step on home plate. Because if you don't step on home plate, the run doesn't count. Well, guess what happens to home plate in a slight bit of rain? It's pretty slick, right? So the kid's doing what I told him to do. Hustle home. Come on, buddy, run. Step on that plate. Whoop. He slipped, went, I think, almost horizontal in the air, which was kind of a sight to behold. And then he went straight down on his elbow into the dirt. And he's fine. There were no, you know, surgeons involved or anything like that. But uh, one of my coaches uh, attended to his wounds through tears. Like, I, I probably could have jumped in as the dad, but I'm like, let's let another coach kind of handle this. He's fine, but that was a moment of just physical pain. And if he was here today, he would be happy to show off his war wound to you. When do we see pain in today's text? It's not like slipping at home plate. There's a pain that happens with what Jesus says to his disciples. And to understand this, you have to put yourself in the room with him. Jesus is addressing his disciples, the ones who have followed him for the last three years. We're not yet to the cross. The cross is still coming, but we're getting closer. And what Jesus tells his disciples in verse 21, if you read it, it should feel like a fire hose of information. Because he said these things to him and to the disciples in part, but here's where he kind of gives them the full meal deal of what's going to happen. I'll read it for us. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, he's shooting them straight, that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. I shouldn't use terms like shooting him straight. Sorry about that. Jesus is delivering a message to his disciples that would be very difficult to hear. Why? Because they love him. Because they've devoted the last three years of their lives to following him. Because they've seen him do incredible things. They've seen him defeat death. They've seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. So how in the world is he going to die? If you've seen someone be victorious over even something as powerful as death, how in the world is this going to come together? There is pain in the receiving of this news from the disciples. His disciples feel pain because this man that they love is telling them things that they don't want to hear. So some may argue, well, that's not very loving to tell people things that will cause them pain. Um, talk to a parent. <laughs> Part of your job as a parent, as a grandparent, is to offer words to your children, to your grandchildren. They may not always want to hear, but they create a pathway forward for them that is better than if you said nothing to them at all. This is just good leadership, and honestly, this is the gospel. Jesus is telling his disciples, I will face pain for you. I will go to the cross for you. I will hang there and die 
for you. There will not be a bloodless sacrifice. This will not be effortless. This coming to the cross for me will cost me everything. And this is one of the key messages of the gospel that we cannot lose sight of. Pain is not the enemy. Pain's not good. None of us want to run toward pain. But the disciples, if they said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, we don't really want to hear about the cross. We don't really want to hear about your pain. That's all fine and good. But we just, you know, we just, we want to be over here, right? Like, we just want to kind of be kept safe from that. Then we don't get the cross. Then we don't get the sacrifice that frees humankind from the bondage of sin and slavery. Then we get nothing that comes with the rest of the gospel. Be cautious, friends. When you talk to people about what they believe, and if there is a word of a cross that does not involve suffering, that is not the gospel. Instead, through Jesus Christ and through his gospel, we can say, look, pain is hard. None of us wants to run toward pain necessarily. None of us wants to take on pain and suffering. That's really hard. But it does not mean that we are wrong all the time. It does not mean that we are somehow missing out on things. Just because you experience pain doesn't mean you're not following Jesus Christ in the way that you're supposed to. The shepherd will help you when you experience pain. Case in point is Peter's reaction to this. Peter feels this pain when Jesus says to him, hey, I'm going to die. That's like the worst news ever to Peter. He does not want to hear about that. Peter took him aside. Now picture this scene. All the disciples are sitting together. Let's say they've had a meal together. They're relaxing afterwards. They're watching Sports Center. And Peter says, hey, Jesus, come over here. Just come here. Come here real quick. Hey, I want to tell you something. Don't, you're scaring the children. Stop saying things like that to them. Like, don't do this, Jesus. He took him aside and he began to reprimand him. This man reprimands the Lord of the universe and says, heaven forbid it, Lord, this will never happen to you. You know what Peter is saying to Jesus? I don't want that. I don't want the cross for you. I don't want suffering. I don't want pain of any kind in my life. I can't imagine that this pain will somehow be good. I can't imagine that what you just described, Jesus, will actually be good for people, much less for you. Many of us felt pain this week that we could not imagine goodness coming from. Many of us will look at the events of this past week and say, there is nothing good that can come of this. And it's our cynicism about politics. It's our inability to envision a future where things might actually get better because Jesus is at work in our pain. And Peter speaks on behalf of all of us who kind of lead with our emotions and just react so strongly to what's happening here. Peter is not responding to what Jesus said. He's reacting to it from the gut. And sometimes that's a good thing. And Peter in this moment represents what I think so many of us feel when we encounter pain. But this is one of the reasons I'm still a Christian and I'll continue to be, is because the gospel of Jesus Christ works in real life, in real time, where people experience pain, where there is suffering, where there is poverty, where there are things that show us the world is not as it's supposed to be. But if Jesus Christ is real, and I believe he is, and if his gospel is true, then when we encounter pain, we know, because our Lord encountered pain, that this too shall pass, and this will be okay. Peter misses this, but Jesus doesn't let him get too far down the road without enlightening him to the purpose of his pain. Now, I want to say this before I share the next text. Not all of our pain will be immediately connected to a purpose. 
I know the stories of many of you in this room, and there is pain decades ago that you simply cannot explain. That's okay. God in his mercy chooses to reveal his purposes to us in the way and in the time that he feels is appropriate. This is one of the great lessons of Job. The book of Job, God wrestle, Job wrestles with God, wrestles with the pain in his life. He says, God, if you would just tell me why these things are happening to me, give me a purpose, God. And what does God say to Job? He says, you know what? You don't need the answer. You need me. You need me. And so I don't want to be flippant and say that every time you've ever experienced pain that God had a purpose behind that. That may be true. But it is very hard for us as human beings to connect the dots between our pain and the purposes of God because we just don't see it like God does. We have to be willing to admit that. So if you have an unresolved pain in your life, a grief, a loss that has just been inexplicable to you, just know that that is welcome in the presence of Jesus. And it doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan for that pain. It just means we may not see it yet. Jesus wastes no time, though, in revealing his purpose to Peter. This is the message translation. I love how Eugene Peterson kind of colloquializes this. He says, Jesus didn't swerve. In other words, he sees that Peter is in distress, and he leans into that distress with Peter. He loves Peter enough to continue to push him toward the truth. Peter, get out of my way. Get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God's work. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus, in this kind of paraphrase, delineates between Peter and the activity of Satan? He says, Peter, you got your own problems over here. Satan is at work in what you just said. Let's, let's deal with him. Satan, get lost. Can you all just write that down? Satan, get lost. Like, that's a phrase that we need to use more and more, right? Like, get out of here, devil. You got no place here. Jesus is seeing what Peter cannot see. He is seeing what Peter cannot see. Peter doesn't approach Jesus thinking like, now I'll become the mouthpiece for the enemy of all humankind. But this is what Jesus is revealing here. Peter, your words reveal that there is a corrupt intent behind what you were saying. There is evil in this exchange between Peter and Jesus, and it ain't coming from Jesus. God's plans... Through the, for the redemption of the world through Jesus Christ, mean what Jesus said in verse 21. He's going to suffer, he's going to die, he's going to go to the cross, and then he'll be resurrected. Those plans must come to fruition. They will come to fruition. And anything that impedes the achievement of those plans is Satan's attempt to roadblock salvation. So what Jesus is saying to Peter in this moment is, you're trying to create a roadblock and you don't even know it. And so Jesus, in his divine power and mercy, says, okay, Satan, you got to get out of here. Like, stop messing with Peter. Leave him alone. Peter, you need to stop running your mouth. Like, let me tell you what's going to happen here. But there's an important word that I think rises up from the text for us around the subject of pain. And I offer this to you as kind of our thesis for today. Pain can make hidden evils visible. Pain, if it is used by God for the purposes of God can reveal something hidden in your life, in my life, in Peter's life that we didn't know was evil, but is really going to become a problem unless we deal with it. Sometimes pain will reveal an evil activity or effort that we couldn't see otherwise. We're too blind to it. We're in too much of a hurry. And I'll say a little bit more about this in a moment, friends, but one of the reasons it's really important to reflect on your pain is because the world will never give you permission to reflect on it. Our culture, our fast-paced world, it won't make money off you. It won't get you to buy more products if you actually slow down long enough to think about why you're in pain. 
in this dialogue, Jesus offers painful words to Peter to help him get back on track. Peter needed to see that he was off course. And that's what Jesus is doing here. In light of the tragic events of this week, what was revealed to us, to you, about the pain that is happening in your life? Whenever tragedies happen, especially in our nation with all the problems and idolatries that we have, we need to pause and ask ourselves, what might God be saying through this? What might he be saying to me? There are a couple things that came to my mind as I thought about this tragedy and this horrible event, but there are things that we need to reflect on, ask ourselves, hold out before the Lord as individuals and as Americans. I think some of what was revealed through the pain this week is that we have a huge problem with idolatry in our country. The idolatry of the American form of freedom. The idolatry, I would say, of weaponry. And hear me when I say this. I grew up in Texas. I know where Uvalde is. I grew up around guns. I believe gun safety, all that kind of thing. But we have an idolatry around weaponry. And it is a problem. And it is costing lives. Another thing that comes out of the pain this week, our teenagers are suffering. Our teenagers are in so much pain. They are lonely, they are isolated, they are brokenhearted. There's a deep apathy in our culture to try to address any of these problems. There is an anger and rage that I heard so clearly from people around why does this keep happening? What can I do with this? I feel so helpless. And we're angry about that. I won't give answers to all of those. I will just name those as pain points and things that we need to consider. But I will say this. Jesus' response is just the same thing that he says to Peter. To our idolatry, to our brokenness, to our violence. Jesus says one thing. And that is come to me. Come to me. The shepherd is saying that to you as he said that to me this week. Come to me. And that's where we turn our attention to comfort. Because when we come into the shepherd's presence, he's not going to berate us and he's not going to yell at us. He is going to comfort us. Look at verses 24 and 25 with me from the message. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. He knuckled down on this argument. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, Peter. I am. Anybody else need to hear that sometimes? You're not in the driver's seat, Thorne. Jesus is. You're not in the driver's seat, Carol. Jesus is. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. This was the point we were making earlier, that there can be a purpose to the pain that you are experiencing. And then Jesus go on, goes on to say, follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. Jesus is taking the pain that Peter has named and the experiences that his disciples are going through, and he's giving them an opportunity to actually craft something out of it, to do something with it. I want to make three suggestions that kind of lead from this text about how we can apply this to our lives. What might this look like in real life? If Jesus is telling us, look, Bethany, look, Inglewood, your pain, there is a purpose here, and I want you to see it. 
he gives three different very concrete steps. Turn away from selfishness, don't run from suffering, and follow me. Turn away from selfishness. This goes back to what the gospel is. Jesus, the gospel is not Jesus is coming, look busy. The gospel is we are motivated to love and serve others because we have been loved and served by Jesus Christ. Our motivation is grateful joy, not begrudging obligation. When we make that turn, we are able to live with greater freedom from selfishness. And when we step into a position of service to others, we leave selfishness behind and we enter into the posture of the servant king, Jesus. One tactic for doing this in the week ahead, in the weeks ahead, as our nation wrestles with this event and as we try to minister to and care for our neighbors, I want you to say this with me after I say it. It's it's a simple phrase. Tell me more. Say that with me. Tell me more. Say it one more time. Tell me more. People who say, tell me more, to neighbors and friends and people who are far from God are putting themselves in a position of service and saying, what you are talking about is more important than my response to your argument or my response to your comment or or how I can come up with something to say to you. Tell me more. Church, if all of us would leave this place today with a commitment to say to our hurting friends and neighbors, tell me more. To come in with that sincere curiosity. We leave selfishness behind when we say, tell me more. It's a simple way to put yourself in a position of service to others. And frankly, I thank God for this. This word, tell me more, actually came from the men's retreat this last weekend. One of our speakers talked about it, and I thought about it all week. And I can't tell you how instrumental it was for me in being able to just be present in these conversations with neighbors and friends and parents on my son's baseball team and other kids at school that my kids go to, tell me more was a transformative part of my week. Would you employ that phrase or whatever version of that phrase you would like to say? Would you bring that into play in your life so that you can serve others? Tell me more. We need space to be able to talk about things that are as painful as what happened this past week. Tell me more gives people permission to enter into that space with you. Second encouragement, take up your cross. Don't run from suffering. This is where we need to talk about how difficult it is to actually sit with the pain that we feel. On Wednesday morning, I called uh, our preschool, or excuse me, I called our elementary school. Hmm. Somebody get an Amber Alert? Great timing. Uh, We'll let those tones kind of work their way through. So this event happened Tuesday. On Wednesday morning, I called our school. And I talked to our principal, who's a really wonderful man. He's not coming from any faith perspective. And I just said, look, hey, you know me, and I want to be here to serve and to care for you and for the staff and for the school. We're with you and we're for you. And he said, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Not many parents call me to tell me they're with me. (laughs) I usually get the opposite when parents call me. I'm like, that's a fair point. I can understand that. Maybe we can compare notes sometime. And then I said this to him. I would really like the opportunity to create some space for people to sit with what has happened. Could we come to school, just me and some neighbors, and meet out in front of the school by the flagpole after the kids have gone into school, and could we just have a moment of silence? 
And I assured him this would not be, you know, a religious thing because he, you know, has to kind of keep his eye on that. And to my great surprise, he said, yes, you can have a moment of silence in front of the school. Remarkable. So sent out some text messages, let a few people in our neighborhood know about this, talked to some neighbors, Jill told a few people about it. And so about a half dozen of us gathered in front of the school on Thursday morning. And the principal came. And he stood with us for this moment of silence. And I thank God for that for his sake. It's honoring when people show up to something that, you know, you're just trying to do to create space. But he recognized that he needed space to sit with the pain that he was feeling. And I'm telling you, whether someone important shows up or not, you and I have the opportunity to create these spaces where people can pour out their pain or their frustration, and Jesus will meet them there. I didn't have to come up with a bunch of things to say. It was just a moment of silence. But it was an opportunity for people who are all hurting to stand together and name the pain. And as I mentioned earlier, our culture is deeply disinterested in anyone ever doing anything that creates space to recognize pain. Our culture wants us to move on as rapidly as we can to the next thing. Don't slow down. Don't think about that. Because if we slowed down and if we thought about what's happening around us, the effectiveness of advertising and the attention economy to get us to buy more things would be reduced. So you want to do something, church? You're tired of reading about these headlines. You're sick of hearing about all these different things. Why don't you create some space? I'm not saying I did it perfectly, but why don't you create some space? If you live on a cul-de-sac, what if you went around to your neighbors and said, look, I know this is a little crazy, but we talked about this in my church this morning. I would just love to have a moment of silence with you guys and as a community have a conversation about what's happened. Maybe if you live in an apartment, you know, you knock on the door next to you and you knock on the door next to you and you just invite those neighbors into a space where you can be together. You will bless and serve the people in your life if you give them a chance to pour out what they are feeling. And you don't have to have special training to do this. You don't need to have gone to seminary to do this. You just need to be able to do this in the spirit of Jesus and he will honor it. Don't run from suffering. Give your neighbors and friends an opportunity to speak their suffering into life. And you may be surprised at how much you need it too. The last is an invitation to follow me. And I want to tell you about a neighbor of mine named Debbie. Debbie has lived in my neighborhood forever. She actually grew up there. Her parents still live there. She's a little bit younger than my parents, so her kids are like in high school. And Debbie's great. Debbie actually taught at the preschool where our kids uh, went to before COVID. She was one of my daughter's teachers. She's just a really wonderful friend. And one of the things Debbie loves is flowers. Debbie has wonderful flowers at her house. And so if you live in our neighborhood, let's say you move into our neighborhood, which, hey, we'd love to have you in our neighborhood, you might get this little, like, empty Coke bottle on your front porch with a couple of flowers just put into it. A little bit of water, a little bit of flowers, a little Coke bottle, nothing to it. Might have a ribbon on it. But you'll find those things on your doorstep, especially during the springtime. And what an amazing gift. And it took us years to figure out who was doing that, because we would get these flowers on our porch after years of living there, and we thought, man, there's, somebody just does this. Isn't that lovely? I wonder who this is. Well, it turns out it's Debbie. And it's one of the things that she just loves to do. It's a way that she blesses people. It's a way that she serves others. I don't think she would say that she's a Christ follower necessarily, but I think she's someone who does believe in a higher power. And so after the moment of silence on Thursday at our school, I was walking home, 
and there's Debbie out walking with her big, goofy, dumb golden retriever. They're out for a walk. If you have a golden retriever, sorry, they're very sweet. But we end up talking on the sidewalk for a while about all that's happened. And she was as brokenhearted as I was, and we've actually spent time crying together on the sidewalk right there in our neighborhood. And Debbie asked, what can I do? What can I do? I feel so powerless. And I told her this, and I'll tell you guys this too, and I just believe this is an important word for the church to hear. This is a vision of the future that is coming. This is from the book of Revelation. This is uh, what the future will be like at the return of Christ. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And here it is. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Debbie said, what can I do? And I said, Debbie... I believe that what the Bible tells us about the end is true. That one day we will live in a world where there is no more terrible headlines and no more senseless acts of violence and no more idolatry of weaponry or any idolatry of any kind. One day this will come because Jesus has said it and I believe it's true. One day you and I won't have to cry on the sidewalk anymore. And then I said to her, until that day, you and I have a responsibility to make that day more visible for others. We can't make that day happen. Only Jesus can make that day happen. But if you and I can do little things to help others see the coming of the king, the coming of his kingdom, the freedom from pain that only he will bring, oh man, If we can just give others a glimpse of that, that's what we can do something. That's how we can address this horrible, horrible situation. Help others see this future and anticipate it and long for it. And so Debbie said, sounds like you got a good sermon. And then she went home and I went home and I walked to my house and I grabbed my backpack and I put it in my car And I got in my car and I started driving up here to come to work. And as I drove down the street, I saw Debbie walking without her golden retriever. And in each hand was a vase. And there were flowers in each vase. And she was walking down the street to give those to other people. Every tear, gone. Death, gone. Sorrow and pain, gone. Do you want that day? What are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Gracious God, we pause for a moment just to catch our breath and to sit in your presence. We thank you, God, for ministering to us through this word. You, you sure ministered to me through it. Thank you.
Thank you for neighbors like Debbie. Thank you for people who take flowers to others. It may seem small and inconsequential, but we know in your desire for your world, it can be deeply impactful. As we turn our attention now to a time of prayer, thank you, God, for giving us the gift of prayer. Thank you that as we respond to the word now in enacting the word through prayer, that you will be at work. The prayer is our greatest weapon against the forces of evil. So, Father, hear us now as we are guided through this time and may it be honoring in your sight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.